Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. We're back. Big money We're CJ. Back. I can see you in a minute. What's up, buddy? You doing good? Yeah, where have we been, man? What's going on? Where have you been? Where have you been? I want to know what you've been up to, man. I... I Dude, like for everyone watching or listening, however you are consuming the surprise edition of the CJ show, this is like the first time I have seen CJ in any shape or form, like his face, maybe <laughs> since the draft or no, well, since the last episode we did, I guess. So it's beyond the draft, but you get what I mean. It's been, it's been a while. Yeah. I've been on, I've been on a milk carton, man. I haven't been doing <laughs> any work until these last few days. I hadn't been doing any tweeting uh did a little bit of traveling seen some friends and man it's been a great summer it's gone by quickly that's the way summer always feels right even when you were like in grade five you know you thought summer's here get all this time off and before you know it you're in the first day of grade six so i think that's sort of a that's a universal feeling but um it's been great man i missed you missed the the sdp crew and we it's funny the chat got going the last few days like literally everybody is somewhere not Everybody was everywhere, basically. Nobody was in the same city. So, yeah. Like, I mean, I was uh, actually, there was a stretch of time the last week where I was in four different Canadian cities. Man. I was in like Ottawa for a bit. I was back home in Montreal. Then I was in Quebec City for a day. And then I went to Toronto for a weekend. Like, I, I was in four Canadian cities in the span of a week. What was your least favorite of those four? The least favorite of those four, it's not really fair to say Ottawa because I did less stuff there, but like, yeah, Ottawa, unfortunately, because it was a day trip and all I really did was like, I caught up with a few friends. I went to expectations for brunch (laughs) for a beer, the byword market, like by default, like compared to all the stuff I was doing in Montreal, Quebec city, Toronto, like Ottawa kind of gets the short end of the stick. Great city. But like I, I by comparison, no, like it, it's fourth place. Got it. I just wanted to try to like <laughs> cause some controversy in our summer episode here. So, come on, we just got back. I don't want people from Ottawa giving me guff about how I don't think their city is great. Their city is very nice. It's it's a nice city, quaint time. 
you could hang again byward market or you hang around Lansdowne. you go to joey's and, and get yourself some good food it's a nice place it just so happens that that last stretch of week it was the worst of the four look quebec city was great got to see the waterfall got to go to toronto got to watch a jays game got to watch kendrick got to watch kendrick kendrick lamar went to maddie's patties and look montreal like how are you going to beat Montreal, especially if you're going from cocktail bar to cocktail bar to, to, to the plateau, to Mount Royal, to all that stuff. Sorry, Ottawa. Okay, I what love, about you? Is there, I love that you yeah, were in right. Toronto and none of the guys that live in Toronto from the SDP were there. Yeah. None the of big them boss man out of wild. I see from his IG, he's on vacation. Jesse Blake, who's just returned last night from vacation and is filling in for us today. Props to Jesse. Because producer Thank Nick you, is Jesse. down in New York bringing the Blue Jays good luck in their series with the Yankees so far. So keep keep doing your thing down there, Nick. Uh, <laughs> I believe I believe Steve. I'm not trying to dox anyone. Steve's somewhere in cottage country. So mm-hmm. yeah, we've all been here, there, and everywhere. But uh, you know that's what summer's for. But it's starting to feel real, man. I got to say, like it's actually been a newsy summer. We a lot's happened yeah. since we were last year, and. You know, especially with the last couple of days, what what went on with the the trade from Calgary and then the signing of Kadri, like my brain's starting to get back to like, holy, you know, this is we got a league to cover here. This is not going to be that long, even though it is still what three four weeks until training camp start. By the way, we're going to try to make this podcast all about a lot of the stuff that we missed. I mean, we missed each other clearly. Well, you know. You know, sprinkling more summer stuff, but we are going to talk about Kadri. I don't think we did an episode when the Matthew Kachuk deal happened, so we're going to try to get some thoughts on that. It's going to be very Calgary Flames heavy because they did a lot of stuff within the last month that's had a lot of people kind of like, you know, just be taken aback a little bit. Very interesting times to be Brad Living and the Calgary Flames. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about their cup odds and the sports interaction segment, but like, and I know we'll get into a little bit more in depth, but like you look at the Calgary Flames right now and the summer that they've had, the roller coaster of everything. Like we had good summers. Like imagine what it's been like for Brad Treliving and that Calgary Flames front office. I, the funny thing is, if you ask them in an honest moment, I don't know if they could say it's been a good summer. Like it might get them to a good place, but it, it, man, it's been an up and down summer, five weeks whatever it was, you know, going back to when they were, you know, trying to sign Johnny Goodrow to a, a contract right before the start of free agency, get dealt the blow, you know, with Matthew Kachuk indicating he's not going to sign a long-term deal there and having to contemplate trading him. And then, you know, obviously it's flipped back the other direction since then. I think that there's a lot to be excited about with their team, despite losing two 100-point players. You know, the way it was described to me by someone as I've sort of got my phone back working again these last few days. It's it's like they're playing fantasy hockey, right? I mean, this, the, the sort of moves that we've seen them pull off just with the the size of players is sort of what you're used to seeing. Maybe if you're if you're doing like the the be a manager mode or something in a video game or what your friends are doing in their their pools shaking up a team. But the reality is, especially in the NHL, is you don't see this kind of fundamental change too much. And my initial takeaway, quite honestly, is like they didn't choose this. Right. I mean, they, they tried to side Johnny Goodrow. They, they offered him more money than Columbus. I know we've been down that path, but let's remember where they started here. They, they, they were trying to keep this team intact, but they might end up, you know, as a result of having the core shaken around that they might end up maybe with something a little better because, you know, it had been a lot of years with, with Goodrow and Monaghan and then, you know, Matthew Kachuk a little later kind of being the main players in that team. And, you know, they had a, a couple of great regular seasons, uh, but but never really got over the hump in the playoffs. And and I'm not hanging it just on those guys, but maybe by shifting some of the, the dynamic here and sort of being forced, again, their hand being forced to, 
might be one of these these nice reminders that sometimes uh, you don't get what you want, but you get what you need. That is very true. Um, before we get to sports interaction, because I, I want to save more of the Calgary talk for the other side. Uh, you mentioned be a manager mode when back in the days when you would play shell or you were you a big uh, be a GM guy. I wasn't. I got to be honest. Like, I, I haven't been into video games since that was even a thing. I think if that had been around when I was a kid or a teenager, I definitely would have been into it. But um, I must confess, I, I've never really done that. But I'm aware that you can do it. And it's, you know, it, it's cool. I mean, basically, I do it for a living, right? We're, we're, we're all second guessing these GMs essentially all the time and, and trying to, to pick through the, the rationale for their moves, trying to, to understand what they're doing. And, and, you know, occasionally on in a form like this one, we suggest moves maybe they should have made instead and, instead of the ones they actually chose to go down and do. That's true. I'm glad your phone is back on, by the way. Because uh, we're going to have a lot of hockey to get through between uh, I owe, this episode. By the way, I, owe, I owe a few of you out yes. there some texts. Uh, there's a lot of unre- <laughs> there's a lot of unreturned texts. I'm sorry, it's nothing personal, but I just was legit unplugging. So I'll, I'll get through the case here. I don't even know where you were. You were just MIA like the whole time. Spent <laughs> a little time in Europe. Um, yes, saw some good friends there. I was in Sweden and Finland, um, where I have uh, some some good people in the hockey fraternity that are that are friends of mine and had some fun nights out had a, had a pretty wayward night actually in Helsinki with a couple of former hockey writers um oh an unplanned Ooh. one too which is funny like it wasn't it didn't start out wayward but all of a sudden there was licorice shots and it, it got late early um uh, but you know it wasn't that kind of trip by and large it was pr- more more relaxing than 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 anything else but uh it was good to connect with some familiar faces I saw Emily Kaplan in Stockholm Shout out Emily Kaplan. Of all things, she was traveling too, and our paths crossed there. So, yeah, it was it was a good time, and you know, I'm I, I'm still I'm not really working fully yet. So let's not get too carried away. But but it's it's no. the soft restart into the 2022-23 season for me now. If you want, uh, before the end of the episode, you have uh, I I would have no problem if you wanted to share any more stories of your time. Uh, it, uh, away from civilization. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Let's go through now the latest move the Calgary Flames did, which is signing Nazem Kadri to a seven-year deal worth $7 million. It took a while for Nazem Kadri to sign, but he has signed with the Calgary Flames. What do you think of this deal? Why do you think it took so long? Give me every every thought you have about this Nazem Kadri deal going the way it did. Well, look at how we're talking with the Flames, right? You know, 
where they were five weeks ago, where they are today, their, their, their Stanley Cup odds have bumped. I mean, if you're Nazem Kadri and you go back to July 12th, 13th, 14th, you know, the early days of free agency, when he was looking at the teams, he's seeing the same news we are. He's seeing Johnny Goodrow uh, go sign in Columbus for less money. You know, a week later, he's seeing Matthew Kachuk indicate he's not going to sign a long-term deal there, ultimately get traded to Florida. You know, I think what benefited Calgary in a roundabout way is they were maybe not aggressive at Kadri on the opening day for agency. I mean, they, they certainly had interest. I mean, we know we had, they have interest going back to 2019 when they had a deal in place. Uh, I believe it was a three-way deal, but a deal in place anyway, the Toronto Maple Leafs to, to get Nazem Kadri that was ultimately scuttled by Kadri not waiving a no trade clause. And so, you know, they've had longstanding interest in them. They obviously kept in touch with his camp, but it wasn't like on the first day of free agency, they came bursting through the door with some crazy offer you know, at that time, it would have been reacting to the Goodrow news. And I think that, in a sense, that the timing here benefited them because it gave Kadri a time to really survey the teams that were in the mix to, to look at the market. And then, you know, he had enough time to see them bring in the guys they did to, to re-sign Huberto to the extension too, right? It's not just that they, they traded for him. I mean, they traded for him one year out from unrestricted free agency. You know, that's a little different than signing him then to the eight-year extension uh, that they they got to him on ultimately. And so, you know, it shows that Huberto's in long-term. We'll see what happens with Uyghur. Um, you know, I think that that made it more comfortable for Kadri. You know, as for why it took so long, I mean, you go back to that opening day for agency, there's a few teams that were in the market for a center and paid big for it. You know, I look at the Rangers signing Trocheck, uh, The Trey Red Wings brought in Andrew Kopp. Um, you know, a few other teams made signings. But, you know, pretty quickly, the obvious landing spots kind of dried up. I think it was important for Nazem Kadri to end up with a team he felt could win a Stanley Cup. And so the teams that fell into that that sort of bucket that were interested in him all had to, to find a way to move money. And, you know, ultimately, about a week ago, uh, he, he indicated to Calgary he was willing to sign there. They had the parameters, the contract in place. And then it was a matter of, you know, them working out the trade they ultimately made with the Montreal Canadiens to, to move Sean Monahan's contract to, to make it all work in terms of a timing standpoint. But um, you know, I think a team like the New York Islanders, which was, you know, obviously pretty openly attached to Kadri, was unable to to move that money uh, to to make it work. And, you know, for Nazem Kadri, as you know, I don't know, we talked about during the season a little bit, Julian, you know, it was important for him to get security on this deal. You know, he, he signs a $40 million, $49 million total contract here. That's more money than he's made in all of his seasons combined previously in the NHL. You know, he's he's been on a very, you know, team friendly contract we'll call it for the last six seasons. And so it was important for him to get a long-term deal and to get, and to get you know, basically get what he's worth. And, and only so many teams could do that in a hard cap system. So I think that a few things conspired there, but it's one of these ones where there was a lot of stressful days for Nazem Kadri, I think in the last month, uh, even though he, yeah, every Thursday I notice on his IG, he's doing the, the, you know, the throwback Thursday photos of him in the cup. So like he's, he was, mm. it was not that stressful. I mean, there was something at least for him to, to, to save her on, but it was, you know, there's a lot of twists and turns and, and, you know, I think ultimately Calgary made the most sense because he feels they have a chance to win and, and they were able to make a move to, to free up the cap space to get this deal done. Really interesting. And now he finds himself in a situation where, and I mean, maybe we'll see more at training camp, but like, do you put him on the first line and, and move, maybe move down to Elias Lindholm or do you keep him in that second line or, or just middle of the lineup area? Right. Like, I mean, that's where he was pretty comfortable out in, in, in Colorado. Like there's a kind of different options. You could put a guy like Nazem Kadri, but it just kind of solidifies that team's depth with a guy like him in their lineup. It's a, it's a good signing. Well, they're they're so deep down the middle. Right. I mean, they got Michael Backlund there, too. And I know he's a veteran at this point, but, you know, if he's your third line center, I think you're, you're feeling pretty good about your team. You know, I would imagine Kadri would be their second line center. But, 
look, every year is a new year. And, and if things don't click, they, they've got pieces to move around now. And I think, you know, pretty impressive pieces, whether it's Tyler Toffoli, Jonathan Huberto, you know, Andrew Maggiapani's, you know, I would expect is going to get more of a role on this team than we've seen in the past. I mean, he's had two really productive seasons, the last two, but but now with some some of the, the moves, I mean, they've lost two primetime wingers, right? So there's there's more minutes there for him, I would think, in the future. And so, you know, that'll probably shake itself out over time. But as we're as we're drawing it up today, I think Lindholm is their number one center with Kadri in the two spot. Uh, Backlund the three, and and you're comfortable with that. I mean, look, with Nazem Kadri, it's not just points. I mean, he popped last year. I don't I don't think any of us are predicting he'll ever top 87 points again. I mean, maybe he does, but I, I would suggest that's probably not likely. I think what you're looking for him though is, you know, probably something close to 30 goals, 60 points is is I think a fair bar for him. And you know, he's going to contribute on your power play, and you trust him in defensive minutes, and and that's going to be important in that division, right? I mean, he actually. It's funny because it was a limited number of games and it was much earlier in Connor McDavid's career. But, you know, there was a point when Kadri was with the Leafs and, and he would get the McDavid assignment and, and he really relished that. Like he is someone that I, I believe kind of gets bigger in the moment, so to speak. Like he he almost needs I think the sleepy games are bad for him. The, the games that maybe don't have a lot of star appeal. I think like things like the Battle of Alberta on a Saturday night is going to be where you see him at his best. And, and I think you're probably using him in a matchup role potentially against McDavid. And, and you know, it's it's fairly limited in the past. I'm not saying he can shut him right down. No one in this league can shut Connor McDavid down for any meaningful amount of time. But, you know, I, I think that that's, that's something you'll, you'll look at them to use. And so the Flames aren't just bringing him in to score a certain number of goals or points. I, I think it's the all-around game. And obviously the, the edge he plays with that, you know, is going to make him such a fan favorite in Calgary. Gee, sure is convenient that uh, Nazem Kadri now plays in the same division as one Connor McDavid. Uh, but uh, that is another way of looking at it. Also, oh, Vander Kane. Yeah. Remember, yes. Vander Kane threw that uh, suspendable hit on him in the playoffs, too. So there's going to be lots of there's going to be lots of subplots in those Battle of Alberta games next year. That is very true. Just a word about the New York Islanders, though. What a tough offseason for them. You lose out on Johnny Gaudreau. And Nazem Kadri within weeks, like, oh, that's that's tough to be a New York Islanders. I guess for a while, I genuinely thought maybe the reason why we didn't hear anything about Nazem Kadri was because Lou Lamorello signed him and put the contract in the drawer. Like, so there's a lot of people like the joke, but that's kind of tough to be an Islanders fan. You lose out on two prime uh, free agents uh, that a lot of people were connecting this team to between Gaudreau and Kadri. It's pretty tough. Tough, but you know, I would point out it's August 20th as we're recording this today. There's there's still you know, a good, what, 25 days till training camp opens, give or take. So, you know, the, the offseason isn't over yet. I I think that you're going to see some movement there with the Islanders. I mean, they, they still have some players to sign. You know, there, there is rumors of those deals already being in, in the drawer for for Romanov and for for Dobson. Um, you know, so I don't think that it, it's a little too soon to, to completely judge their offseason, but certainly it's, it's disappointing. And you know, I don't really know what to make of the Islanders. Like last year to me was such a, a strange season. Like I almost don't want to, you can't dismiss it entirely, of course, but I almost don't want to make too much of it. Remember they started, you know, with however many games on the road, you know, while the, their new arena was finished, you know, it, it just didn't go well. It was a tough year for Barry Trotz. Obviously he ultimately, um, you know, was fired from the job at the end of the season, but you know, this is a team that got to the Eastern conference final in consecutive years prior to that. And so, you know, they're a team to me that at their best are a little bit more than the sum of their parts, the way they play. And so, yes, it, it doesn't look good right now. I'm not certainly defending their offseason, but 
they, they, I'm not going to just say that they're going to be a bottom feeder right now. I, I don't, I don't believe that to be the case. And I also don't think they're done at this point. Yeah. Way too soon to judge the New York Islanders uh, back to Calgary for a second, because I, we did not, as far as I remember, we did not, we were not on when the Matthew Kachuk blockbuster deal happened. Like we, we had spent time talking about Johnny Gaudreau. The last episode, we were talking a lot about Pierre-Luc Dubois situation, but we had just missed the Matthew Kachuk blockbuster trade that ultimately sends him to Florida. And then uh, Jonathan Huberdeau and Mackenzie Weger, among other pieces involved, obviously going to Calgary. What were you doing when you heard the trade? Well, I was sleeping because uh, I was however many time zones ahead of the Eastern time zone or, or the mountain time zone where the flames are based. And that happened late at night, local time, if I recall correctly. Uh, so I woke up in the morning and saw the whole collection, you know, I, I missed even sort of some of my colleagues saying, Hey, this is going down type of thing. I just saw the final piece. Um, it was, it was an eye opening deal though. Look that it was a surprise. I think, I think what's kind of interesting now in the league is, you know, Bill Zito has not been a jam in Florida for too long, but he certainly, if you look at his track record has not been, hesitant to make a big move. I think he's, you know, quite open to, you know, between trading two first round picks at this most recent trade deadline to get Claude Giroux and Ben Chirot, you know, losing both those players, throwing another first round pick into this deal as, as part of getting Matthew Kachuk and, and, you know, trading away a corporate piece in Jonathan Huberdeau, you know, he's, he makes the league more interesting. I think Brad Tree Living, we can make the case is making the league pretty interesting with the way he's built that team. Um, and so that was, it was a stunner on my end of things. I think that we have the benefit because it's weeks later, you know, the fact that Huberto signed the eight year extension he did, I, I know it's for, for big money. You know, I think one people, one thing people have to take in mind, whether they're looking at the Huberto contract, the Kadri contract, the salary cap in this league isn't going to be flat forever. And so we're talking seven, eight years out. I mean, in Huberto's case, it's nine years out because he's got this year left on his, his final year of his previous deal, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years from now, the salary cap could be a hundred million. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fool's errand probably to say with any certainty where it's going to be. I, I don't have, I don't have the sophistication to guess at it. And, on, and quite honestly, part of it will be tied to how the next CBA is negotiated between the, the, the PA and the league. So you're forecasting somewhat, but I, I think it's important to remember with these longer term deals is that a $7 million contract, you know, in seven years, it might not look that big for Kadri. I mean, sure. I don't think any of us think at 38, that he's going to be a player that's in their top six at that point in time. I mean, maybe he is. We've seen the odd guy be able to do it. Look at Joe Pavelski, for example, and, and Dallas. I mean, there, there are players that can do it, um, but it's it's not – certainly it's – if you're putting gambling odds on it, if we're doing a sports interactive segment, I think it's more likely than not. He's not a frontline player at that point in time, but $7 million might not be as onerous as it looks it might look today. So – you know, I think the teams are making that valuation. And so the fact that they got Hubert O'Sign, remove any sort of – because imagine what the season would have been like if Huberto didn't resign this offseason. I mean, it would, have, it would have been the same thing all over again with Kudrow and Kachuk and does no, no one wants to stay in Calgary. And, and you know, narratives are narratives for a reason, but that was a narrative that was starting, right? That was that that was something that they had to push back on. I think in some ways it's what Columbus has had to push back on over the years because, you know, you saw Panarin leave, you saw Bobrovsky leave, Matthew Shane at the time. I mean, so many players – have moved on from from that situation in Columbus. I think the Blue Jackets, you know, by re-signing Zach Wrenski last summer, by by getting Johnny Goodrow, they're trying to to rebuild that image that you know it's not the case. And and you know Calgary had to do that too. I think they they managed to get it done pretty quickly, you know, by by signing Kadri, by getting Huberto to, to an extension, and then if they get Mackenzie Weger on an extension, 
I mean, th- that would be quite something. They, they also signed Andrew Mangiapane to a three-year deal during this period. Mm-hmm. So it's been it's been a busy stretch. Um, I think it's I, I think this is like I don't cheer for teams. You know, we I, I kind of put this proviso out a lot, but for I do cheer for chaos. I, I, I cheer. Yes, for, we're all for that. Like it would be so cool if Calgary is just awesome this year. Like it would just because of the way this went down. I mean, we're all hoping it becomes a copycat league that other GMs get a little bit more bold. Cause that's, that was sort of the larger point I was trying to spin at the top of this is you got a Bill Zito now, um, you know, Kyle Davidson's doing what he's doing in Chicago. Obviously it's going the other way, you know, even Ken Hughes in Montreal, it, you know, it, I think it's easier in a sense to be Kyle Davidson or Ken Hughes. Cause you're coming into situations where the team has kind of gone as far as they could go with what they have. You're being brought in for change. You're being brought in with the idea you're there for an extended period of time. So you can can rip it apart. But, you know, I don't think a lot of people thought you'd, you'd start by trading a 23-year-old Brandon Hagel the way Kyle Davidson did at the deadline. Um, and, you know, Kirby Doc, for example, the deal he made with Montreal. So I think we got we got a bit of action going around the league now. And and for me, it's, it's probably been the most interesting offseason we've had in a number of years. I, I can't even think of the of the one that's in my mind, like, like there's not one that it compares to necessarily, but it just feels like there's more buzz, more unexpected moves. Um, you know, even it starts with Goodrow siding in Columbus. Let's face it. You know, yeah. that was, that was not rumored until that day. Right. We heard some whispers that day, uh, you know, say six, seven hours before it happened, but if that wasn't, that wasn't in the cards. A lot of people thought if he's leaving, he's going to New Jersey or the Islanders, or, you know, one of those teams, Philly, one of those teams close to, the area where he grew up. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been pretty surprising. And so my reaction that, that morning when I woke up in Europe, I don't remember where I was that day exactly, but was just like, Holy shit. Like this is, this is, this is real. This is, you know, it was one of those deals. Like I think back to the Subban for Weber deal, like that was a Holy shit moment for me. Um, even though there was some sort of whisper that Subban obviously could be traded for a time. But I think the fact that Shea Weber was the return was that, uh, you know, Taylor Hall going to New Jersey, which I think was the same day. Like I, there's, there's only so many trades. I mean, I guess I'm lucky in what I do is I tend to hear a lot of stuff, at least portions of it before it happens. So I don't get as surprised, but I was surprised <laughs> put it that way. When, when I heard that it was Florida for, for Kachuk and, and, you know, I think it makes the league more interesting. I think the Atlantic division, again, is just every team in the Atlantic, you know, really other than Montreal, I don't think Montreal has hopes for this season. Like they're, they're building out a longer term plan, but other than them, everyone else is intending to be better. Like Buffalo was already getting better at the end of last season. You you see what Detroit did was more active in free agency. You know, Ottawa started this summer is probably the the most buzzy team with all the moves that, that, you know, Pierre Dorian made there. And so that that Atlantic is going to be a bear of a division once again. It's funny, Pierre, Pierre Dorian. For a good chunk of this off season, we thought, okay, he won the off season. He's like the GM of the off season. Like we, you know, we obviously know being the team of the off season doesn't mean anything. But in like the last few days, like Brad Living has like made a charge for that title. It's basically down to those two GMs now. I would say, but you know, it's funny. You don't really want to win the off season, <laughs> like no. We won't remember this if if either of those teams struggles next year. Uh, and I'm not predicting they will. I I really don't know what's going to happen at this point. But, you know, I, I think that sometimes the teams that make the most moves, they, they, they create a lot of excitement, but it doesn't always pan out. You know, I, I think it's, it's a little different in the Calgary situation. I mean, it's never happened before 
to my knowledge, that a team lost two 100-point scores, like the season after they had 100 points. I think this is the first time in NHL history. So, like, they were facing a circumstance, and, and those are, you know, especially in the case of Kachuk, like, he's a young guy still. Like, he's got – he is absolutely in his prime. I think Goodrow's maybe moving towards the, the latter stages of his prime, but still, like, you're you're talking about elite players, and, and to lose them in a span of, you know, a week or 10 days and have to then quickly pivot and do it in the way they did, I mean, that – some of that's probably good fortune, the way it all lined up. You know, you, you can't draw this up. Um, I still remember, though, if you remember the press conference that Brad Tree Living gave the night that, that he announced that Goodrow wasn't going to resign there. I think it was the night before free agency opened. And in, the one thing he said, though, is like, we're not just going to charge into the market spending money. Like, we're going to, you know, be creative. And and I think, in a sense, they've been creative. Uh, and, and they deserve credit for that because... It would have maybe been easy, I mean, easy for us to say, but okay, you're offering Goodrow 10 and a half million, go pay someone on the first day for agency 10 and a half million. But, you know, the truth is they probably got Kadri a little cheaper uh, than than they would have if they had assigned him on the first day for agency. I mean, tough for me to say that, but I, you know, I think it's fair that as the market went on, they had to find something that worked for both sides and, and they, they found that sweet spot. But um, I think the Flames are pretty sensible under, you know, their front office under duress there. And uh, let's let's say they won the offseason, but I also think they're going to win a lot of games next regular season, too. Yeah, I think they're going to be a playoff team, and I think they're going to be just fine. And yeah, like winning the offseason doesn't really matter all that much. But I think it's worth giving credit uh, to Brad Trilliving for the job he was able to do. A lot of other GMs might have just, I don't know, just not have nearly as good of an offseason as he could have. One other thing that he did, too got out of that weird Sean Monahan, well, not weird, but that Sean Monahan contract, which unfortunately because of injuries and stuff was probably going to get a little bit more worse by the day and dumps it off to Montreal, which I guess we can kind of transition over to the Canadians and what they have going on here. Monahan says he's healthy and, and we'll see about whether or when he'll start with the Montreal Canadians, but uh, Kent Hughes also doing a tidy uh, bit of business, but also, there's the matter of carry price as well. There's there's a lot. There's a bit to unpack with the Montreal Canadiens and their last few days. Do you want to start with Monaghan or do you want to start with Price? Let's start with Monaghan. You know, we, I, I think that what's interesting for them. I mean, look, if you're Montreal, there's there's no reason not to make this trade. Really, um, you know, this is a player that is coming off his second consecutive summer where he's had a hip surgery. Uh, so obviously, there's huge question marks about his health. How he'll bounce back for that. You know, there's a number of NHL players, I should mention, though, Braden Point's one that comes to mind, but there's a whole bunch of guys that have had hip surgeries, missed a chunk of time or, or you know, not been able to train normally in an offseason while they recover from that and, and go through the rehab and end up, you know, still playing pretty well. I mean, Sean Monahan's 27, I believe. So he's, he, yeah. he's not he's not necessarily done. I mean, we'll see what his body allows him to do. But, you know, I think for Montreal, this is the perfect time to get this guy. He's He's in the final year of his deal. I mean, maybe he can play. Maybe you like him. Maybe you're re-signing him. Um, probably more than likely, you're just hoping he plays well and you've got an asset to deal at the deadline. Uh, and if nothing else, maybe it just ends up that he's on your team for the season, uh, but you get another first-round pick to add to what you already have. And, you know, they might not ever pick with that pick, but, you know, in a couple of years' time when the Canadians are expecting to be, you know, more competitive, that's that's a pretty good asset to trade themselves, perhaps, you know, in a future deal to to augment their team at that point in time. And so I think I think it's a, a kind of a no-brainer trade for the, the Canadians in a sense. I, I know that it took a long time to get it done because of all those draft pick conditions that you saw. I mean, that it literally is the most complex set of conditions on an NHL trade I've ever seen. I, I'm 
I don't know there's any way to confirm that 100%, but like I'm led to believe it took hours to register the trade because while they worked through those conditions and, you know, what that all really stemmed from, if you just want the high level version, you know, obviously Montreal was asking for Calgary's 2023 first round pick. Uh, Calgary was adamant they weren't going to move that pick. And so then you had to get into 2024 and 2025, but the problem was they have conditional picks, you know, from the Kachuk trade. And, and so it gets more complex. And obviously, ultimately, Calgary's trying to get, do what it can to guarantee it's not giving up a high pick. Montreal's trying to put itself in position to get the best pick possible. You know, that's that's how that all came about. But it ended up taking days to, to sort of finalize the deal and then hours, like ultimately when they had the deal to, to work through the conditions and make sure the language was okay. And I actually think the one that was released by the Canadians was actually altered slightly by the NHL officially. So it's not even the one wow. that's taken out there in public isn't quite exactly as it's it's been framed. Um, wow. But uh, look, at it's it's it, it's a crazy like pity the the lawyers have got to work on that. I mean, we're talking about like having to do a podcast in August. Like these guys are sweating over that. Like, I, again, I'm reasonably I like this stuff. I'm kind of a nerd about some of the the, the, the nitty gritty call it of, of the CBA and these sort of transactions. Even that one like made my mind melt. So um, they got it done. And but anyway, the, long story short, I think it, it makes total sense for Montreal where they're at to to make this move. So now they have what Jonathan Drouin in the final year of his deal. They have Sean Monahan. They've traded for Genny Dadnov in, in the same position. I mean, let's face it. We're going to probably, unless something crazy happens and this team is wildly competitive next season, I think more than likely in, in February, we're going to be talking about them being pretty active at the deadline as one of the major sellers because they've they've got some pretty attractive assets. And, and I would suggest to you they're not all going to be there long term as, as Canadians. Yeah, like I think between like Monahan and and Drouin, uh both of them, if their contracts are you know, they just are off the books. That's like twelve million gone uh by next year. And yeah, Dadnoff as well. I think Dadnoff's uh, another the, five the, million himself, isn't he? In in, yeah. in yeah. So like first yeah. of all, I think they will probably trade some of those guys. Like it's likely it, this is how it works, right? They're 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 rebuilding without calling it rebuilding. Like I think they want to be competitive, but you know, you want to use your assets to your advantage. They have all these assets. They have these guys on expiring deals and they're pretty, they're pretty established players. If they have good years, I think they're going to, there'll be a big market for them come the deadline. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so it's Dadnoff who's five and a half and also Duane is also five and a half. That's 11 million. If my math is still correct. Uh, remember, I'm not in this to do math. I was trying to also find the actual list of, uh, of the conditions for the, uh, the, the trade. I don't know if you know them offhand. You probably don't. It's very complicated. It was a very long list, but you did mention that the NHL might have altered that list slightly. So now I'm very like, yeah, they have this whole list of conditions and maybe it might not be the best way to like, just kind of go through them all. There's just like a lot. And I'm just really curious about what the NHL might have actually altered uh, no, in terms of conditions. I don't think it was bad. It wasn't like they screwed up. It, no. it just, there was, there was like a redundancy in it or something. Like, I think they just like changed it slightly. But my point is, is like, even what's out there, it was so complicated. It, what got out there wasn't even quite the final version because they had to work through so many versions. Right. And so, you know, I'm not okay. saying there's certainly no controversy here or anything like that. I should be clear, but it's more that, um it was so complicated it took many versions and many hours with the smartest people in the league who who do this stuff with every single trade i mean to to make sure that it 
it it lined up correctly and that it was it was fair. So because remember, two people can you and I can talk about a trade. This is why a trade call happens, right? You and I could talk about mm-hmm. a trade and, and and we go through different versions of what the trade might look like. And you might walk away thinking we made a different deal than I did. Like let's it, it, it might be small. I might have thought I was getting your third round pick and you might have thought that it was a fourth round pick. And that's why you have the trade call with the league to have a neutral person be like, okay, everyone agrees that this is the trade, right? And so to, first of all, you have to go where you know, I have to imagine Brad Tree Living and Kent Hughes are first negotiating this and they're, and they're sort of conceptualizing in their mind what they're actually trading. And then it has to be put into legal language. And, and it took like, what, eight paragraphs of a press release? So, I mean, so credit, much. To, credit to the Canadians for putting it out. Not everybody puts those trade conditions out, but it was... Uh, I hope that we, I just hope that they take the 2024 first rounder, which is sort of the most likely option. Cause if they do that, we never have to go through all the permutations again. We'll just be like, okay, that's, that business is done. Let's move on because my goodness, it, uh, this thing could go on for years and we're talking about it. Yeah. Saves us from a ton of reading that I'm not even going to normally for stuff like this, I would try to like read it and add context, but like, it, there's genuinely like so much text. Like it's been like five minutes reading it during the episode. We we, we can we can kind of hold off on that. There's just a lot of conditions essentially. Um, so we we covered that part of it. But Carey Price, his health very much in question. Uh, it was it had always been in question. If we're really thinking about it from the end of the season on to now, but it looks as if he is not going to appear uh, during the 2022-2023 NHL season. What were your thoughts on that part of uh, Kent Hughes' press conference? Well, the difference between now and the end of the season is that a couple months have passed, and those were potentially hopeful months for Carey Price, right? He went and got a PRP treatment. You know, there was there's an alternate timeline here where, you know, that reacts well in his body and he's feeling better, and maybe we're talking about him ramping up and being ready for training camp. Unfortunately, that's not the case. And, you know, it was pretty clear to me in the way Kent Hughes addressed the issue in his press availability, you know, after the the trade for Monaghan that, you know, he said expressly that he doesn't really see a path for Price to play in his coming season. I think it's fair for the rest of us to deduce. It's it's hard to imagine him finding a way to resume his career, um, you know, and, and, you know, it'd be interesting when Kerry next speaks to reporters, you know, what he has to say about that, you know, where he's at mentally, uh, in terms of does he want to push through? Is is there a medical? Is is there some sort of surgical procedure with probably a long timeline that he's willing to consider going through, or is he kind of at the end? And you know, I I, I don't know where he's at, um, but you know, I, I certainly think it's fair for us to say that the, the future of his career is in serious question here. And and you know, it's it's a sad way for it to end. Unfortunately, it happens to a lot of athletes, and we have to look around the league. There's a number of great players that then end up finishing their careers on on LTIR, you know, Shea Weber's doing it right now, the, the former captain of the Canadians, uh, you know, Chris Pronger, Pavel Datsuk, Marion Hossa. I mean, guys, guys went from LTIR to the Hall of Fame. There's a lot of them. And and so, you know, I, I hope for Kerry's sake, if he wants to play, that he's able to get back. But, you know, I think that it's it's becoming increasingly clear that that's not that likely, I would say. And so, you know, that allowed the Canadians to make the deal because, you know, they're planning on having his deal on long-term injured reserve next year. Uh, and, and we'll just have to see where it goes from there long term. You know, maybe if he is done, maybe they're trading his contract the way they traded Weber's contract earlier in the offseason, something like that. But, um, yeah, not not good news for, for Carey Price. I, as you say, it's not a total surprise, but I guess you, you wanted to keep hope alive because he was receiving treatment this summer. 
uh, and that that at least theoretically could help him uh, get back and, and be more of the player he wants to be. Yeah, if this truly is the end for Carey Price as a member of the Montreal Canadiens, uh, I hope that fans of the market truly appreciate what they had in the Hart and Vezina Trophy winner who literally gave his body up to ensure that the Canadians could remain afloat as long as they could have. He was such a, just in terms of just being in the net, a stellar presence for that team. And I generally hope friend, I hope fans appreciate what they had in Carey Price as a netminder. He was truly astonishing to watch. I think they will. I, I think, you know, sometimes in the moment, there's lots of sort of day-to-day controversies, if you want to call them, or stories and, and all this stuff. But I think ultimately, you'll you step back and look at his record, his, his resume, where he ranks all time in, for Canadians goaltenders in all the key categories. You know, I, I'm pretty confident in saying that you're going to see his number one day retired and and – you know, I think that he'll be remembered as Ooh. one of the great players of his era. I mean, we'll see. The Canadians have a higher bar for such things than than a lot of teams, and obviously, there's already a lot of numbers up there, and for good reason. Uh, but you know, I think that that conversation at least is reasonable, uh, given what he meant to the organization. It's not his fault they couldn't score goals. I mean, in his best years, that team just struggled to score when it mattered. Um, you know, if you go back to to some of that, and he also got injured in that that Eastern Conference Final against the New York Rangers. Uh, which, you know, not really his fault. He gets crashed into by a player. And so he, he he couldn't be the factor at that year where, you know, he was the top player in the world, right? He was, he, he led Canada to gold medal in Sochi that season. Um, you know, I believe it was the next year, was it 2015 that he won his heart trophy? But, you know, that was, yeah. kind of his, if you look back, that was kind of his peak and, and the Canadians were right there around it, but they just couldn't, uh, fortune wasn't on their side and maybe just, down a score or two to, to really be a team that can win the cup. That is very true. Um, there's a few other news and notes we can kind of quickly get to. Uh, we kind of thought that Patrice Bergeron was going to stay in Boston. It's not a complete surprise that he's staying. It did take a bit of time, though. Uh, any thoughts on Patrice Bergeron sticking around in Boston? Well, I think the takeaway for me is if you look at the way Bergeron's contract is structured and also David Krejci returning to the Bruins. Both of them, it's pretty heavily uh, put on signing bonuses. And the reason that is significant and they're signing bonuses that are very achievable. I think, I think Bergeron's is if he plays 10 games, he basically gets a big signing bonus. The reason that's significant is because that money can be pushed to the following season cap wise for the Bruins. And so what I think this sets up as, is I think this sets up as a one last kick at the can for the Bruins type of year. Uh, and it's not to say, look, there's, there's, they can, they can, they, they can, next summer that there's ways to, to maybe to, to say it's another year, but this really does, the way it looks to me is like that, you know, you only have Bergeron for one more season. Uh, Krejci's come back for this one year that they've, they've structured the contracts in a way to, to be team friendly for 2022, 23. Likely those bonuses are pushed to the next year. So it's going to be harder the next year to build your team. You only have David Pasternak under contract for one more season, too. I mean, that's mm. another factor here. And, and you know, we'll see where his situation goes. Uh, I think it's really important for Pasternak. I think he's at a stage of his career. In fact, I know he's at a stage of his career where he wants to win. And so, you know, if the Bruins are, in fact, just taking this one last run at it, you know, maybe it's going to be harder to keep him around uh, if they're going to go into some sort of step back type of scenario. Uh, so that that to me was the most interesting aspect of the Bergeron resigning. Not that he resigned, but just the way that definitely sets up to me like they're going to be aggressive for this season. But, I, you know, I don't know long term. I, I We'll probably be talking about them taking a step back after the, this coming year. 
So we get the Bruins out the way. We can go to John Klingberg in Anaheim signing that one-year deal out there. What did you think of that move? Well, interesting because a key part of what Klingberg wanted initially was a long-term deal. He was looking for security and it just wasn't out there for him. And you know, what an interesting career this guy's had. I mean, he signs his second NHL contract after playing something like 50 games. He signs a seven-year deal after like 50 games. Uh, at the time, it didn't, there was really no precedent for it in the cap era. And, you know, as a result of that, he probably, because he became a really impactful player for the Stars in, in those those years, you know, he probably played a little bit under market. There's, there's, there's a little bit of shades of cadre to this. I mean, different players, of course, different positions. But, you know, the, the circumstances are similar in that he gets to this point where he's in his late 20s, uh, you know, Kadri's case, early 30s, but he's, he's looking to, to cash in and it wasn't there for him. Um, so he's, he's taken a bet on yourself contract. He's, you know, in the short term, he's making more money in Anaheim. I'm sure he signs that deal, understanding that we're going to be probably talking about his name at the trade deadline, uh, because the ducks are not a team that, that I would expect to be too competitive this year. Uh, at least not competitive in the sense of, of going for the playoff, but we'll see. I mean, they had a pretty good start last season before sort of trailing off. So maybe they surprise and we're talking about them keeping him, but I think more than likely he's, he's looking to prove himself take the money and, you know, might be moved at the deadline and have to move again. So it's the opposite of the security that he craved, but I think the, the market just, just pushed him there. He wasn't going to be able to get the long kind of long-term money that he wanted to just to sign a deal anywhere else. Uh, last thing here, uh, JT Miller in Vancouver. Uh, that's a name I thought would be moved at some point in this offseason, but I believe Bruce Boudreaux, the head coach of the Canucks, uh, was interviewed on the radio a couple of days ago saying he expects him to be around for the start of this season. What do you make of this JT Miller situation? Well, you haven't heard the last of it. The Canucks are very comfortable keeping him and, and having him at training camp and having to start the year there. And, you know, th- this is a year where they they want to make the playoffs. So, I, you know, it's not a foregone conclusion that he's gone. He might end up becoming one of those own rentals, as I guess they're called, when you, you keep a player on an expiring deal to, to get what you can out of him in the second part of the season. But it's also not a surprise to, to hear that he might still be traded at some point. I think that his name has been out there prominently enough They've certainly had those discussions, you know, at this point, no one has met the, the price that they're asking and and the, the Canucks like the player. So ultimately, they're, they're not going to just trade them to trade them. I think that that's that's probably the takeaway for me. But there, there's other teams out there that need scoring help. Uh, I'll let you fill in the blanks there. There's other teams that, that maybe struck out elsewhere in the free agent market. And, you know, I don't think this deal needs to happen this month or in September or October, or November, but you know, there, in, until we get on the other side of the trade deadline, I won't believe that he's going to finish the season in Vancouver. I mean, you know, everyone understands the circumstances. He's he's in a position to get a contract unlike what he's been paid in the past. I don't know that the Canucks are in the position to give him that contract. And so they have to maximize the asset here. The, the best place for the asset, if, if the market isn't strong enough, is to have him on their roster. But, um, you know, I, I think let's stay tuned on this situation. I don't believe anything's happening soon by any stretch, but I, we also can't just say, okay, he's going to, he's going to finish the year in Vancouver. Everything's fine. I think that you're going to hear a lot more JT trade, JT Miller trade rumors as time goes on. Uh, do we have any sense of what the Vancouver Canucks might want in the trade for JT Miller? Well, they, they've wanted players. I think, you know, as, as part of it, it's not just a straight up picks deal, but it's also, you know, multiple asset type of trade. Look at look at some of the players that have been moved that, that have had seasons like this. I think we're, now it gets complicated as, as you're trading only one season of him to the other team. So, you know, per, perhaps you're trying to make a deal where they're, they're signing an extension as part of it. 
um, you know, that that dynamic comes into play. I mean, the reason they they listened to trade discussions on them last year is because at that point you were trading them for two years. And, and so presumably the offers might be better. Um, you know, at the end of the day, this guy has been extremely productive. I think it's been lost somewhat if you're not in the Vancouver marketplace uh, about how productive he's been because, they're, you know, their team hasn't been in the mix these last few years. It's been sort of a forgotten team nationally, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, because it's been so long since they, they've you know really been been making a some noise. I guess the, the the Edmonton bubble was the last time we saw them making noise, and then they've fallen back since that time. But um, you know, I I just think that he he does something that not a lot of players do, and so Vancouver's not going to give him away. You know that that's that's the simple truth of it. And so when you hear Bruce Boudreau say he expects them to be a camp, that's because you know for a long time teams have had the ability to come and trade for him, and, and no one stepped up and done it. And so, you know, I think it is fair to think of this this late aspect of the summer, he'll be back. But uh, you know, let's let's see where that one goes. Cause I I still think that's sort of an open, an open file, if you will. Any final off-season free agent thoughts? Anything about any best player availables or like PK Subban is still out there, and we obviously obviously know with the name and attention that he brings and all that. Like any final thoughts before we wrap this part of our uh, glorious show up? Well, some big names. Phil Kessel still out there. You know, the, the active Ironman leader in games played for the, the NHL right now. Uh, P.K. Subban, you know, those are probably two of the two two players that wherever they sign, whenever they sign, will we'll still get some buzz on Twitter. You know, there's a, what they were at their best, but but some big names, too. So, you know, ultimately, some of those guys might end up on on PTOs. Uh, it's, it's camp gets closer. I mean, just look around the league. There's just not a lot of money. And um you know that's that's not necessarily anything new and maybe those players too want to play out their options see see exactly where everyone's at i mean some of it too is about opportunity you know it's not just about finding the best team it's about where you think you fit the best and you know the truth of the matter is i mean the, the flames have have kept this this offseason alive more than most you know by, by making the kachuk trade in mid to late july by by you know the monahan trade and the cadre signing in mid-august but you know this is usually a quiet part um, you know, for the league. I think by early September, we'll hear where those players are headed or if PTOs are ha- happening and all that. Um, but those those are the names I think are still of, of some interest. But, you know, most of the business, frankly, got done on July 12th and 13th. And uh, I think a lot of people are at their cottages right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, not us. <laughs> well, I can't complain, man. I, I, I have not done much work for the last month. So it's been a, it's been a really great time. Yeah, I have to say, uh, this was cool. Just kind of getting back into the swig of things, just doing the podcast. But uh, I'm very much looking forward to finishing out the rest of my summer vacation uh, before we really get back into the swig of things in September. Um, I wrote in our set list, uh, like summer stick taps. Uh, I have one. If you have one, obviously, feel free to share. Uh, do you want me to start? Should I start? Like, start, what do you, you want me to first. do here? You go first. Okay. Well, okay. Well, I, I want to just give a stick tap, uh, really to the family of, uh, Ben Stalter, uh, the very young, uh, Oilers fan, uh, who unfortunately passed away earlier, uh, this weekend, uh, well, no, not to earlier this week, but a couple of days ago. But funeral, his funeral was earlier this week. Uh, we remember in the playoffs where the Oilers rallied around him. 
uh, as he was unfortunately diagnosed with a brain tumor, just a kid with a lot of great spirit. And it was really interesting talking to people who have who don't really follow hockey, who followed his story and knew something about him and were taken aback by this child. Uh, so to see the city of Edmonton rally around him and his family, that was something really nice to see. And I want to give him uh, and the family a a just my condolences, obviously. And look, we do these stick taps just to show love to anyone in the hockey community or anyone in the surrounding world. And we just want I just want to take the moment just to just pay tribute and just say, you know, just give him his flowers while we while uh, while we can't. So, yeah, I, I just want to take the time to say that. And uh, again, my condolences uh, to his family. Absolutely. Here, here. You know, I'm going to have a maybe more hopeful idea now, but uh, Earl, sure. Schwartz, Earl Schwartz is going to get my stick tap for the summer. I, I don't know if you know Earl Julian, but, you know, he's been a member of the, the Twitter community. Um, you know, I think he grew up a Leafs fan, uh, but really understands the CBA on a level most certainly casual uh, observers don't. And as no surprise to me, he's been hired now by the Carolina Hurricanes to join their front office. I think what's really cool about Earl's story, and I would encourage you to go find him on Twitter. He, he wrote a, a goodbye post um, for the, the, the Leafs Nation blog that, that he'd been contributing to. And this is a 23-year-old kid, uh, played junior C hockey in high school, never had any real thoughts or ambitions that he would be someone that would go to university or college. Um, you know, was trained to be a millwright. But, but throughout um, his high school days, he took a lot of interest in the CBA and just started reading it. And started tweeting about it, and you know, eventually was blogging. He, I know he went on to 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 ultimately do a college program in sports management, so he did get some formal training. But at 23, he's now hired by an NHL team, and I think there's there's something beautiful in his story. I, I really would encourage you to read it. I'm not doing it full justice here by repeating it, um, but sure. but he's someone who found a way to add value, uh, who who pursued his passion, who showed who you know what he loves, and and shared that with the world, and ultimately. He's now living. He's he's probably taken a step even quicker than I can't speak for him, but, but then he thought he could. And, and I just think it's a really hopeful story. He also has a great line in there about, you know, don't just look at my story that, that he's he's urging people from all kinds of different backgrounds. Like you don't have to be a hockey player who, who gets interested in the CBA to end up with an NHL team. But I just thought he's wise beyond his years. I, I don't know Earl well. Uh, you know, I followed him on Twitter. He's, he's he's really added a lot to the community, in my opinion, in the last few years. It's a shame we're going to lose him as a public facing uh presence because he he really understood the CBA could explain why transactions happen in a way very few can that aren't employed by NHL teams already. Um, but, you know, all my best Earl and, uh, you know, don't look back kid, keep chasing your dream because I think you're, you can inspire people just by living your life at your best. Well said, uh, Ben Stelter and Earl Schwartz uh, deserving of our summer stick taps here on the CJ show. And that's going to just, just about do it for uh, this Lucy that we just decided to throw out there for everybody. A few people were asking about how we were enjoying summers. We decided to, you know, give this a little, give out a little something for you guys. Look at CJ. He's already got the sunglasses on. He is ready to enjoy his Saturday. As am I. I'm going to go back to bed, honestly. Take a nap. <laughs> oh, man. The yeah, summer of oh, Julian Thank you so much. continues, man. It's been like a big bar tour on your IG uh, account. So. Keep it up, bud. Honestly, have fun. Get relaxed. Get refreshed because we're going to have a great second season. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I can't wait for how this second season is going to go. A lot, 
looks as if it's going to happen, uh, especially uh, as we make the charge up to the start of uh, our second season of the Chris Johnston show. CJ, always a pleasure to see you, buddy. I know a lot of big things gonna happen for you too, man. We'll see. We'll yes, see. sir. All right, man. For Siege, for Julian. Peace. We'll be back. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Canada's Sportsbook. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.